0: Welcome to Collaboration RA.
1: This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve.
0: We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com.
1: We appreciate you listening and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Today, you're going to get to hear from featured guest host, Tobias Gilk. What was originally going to be one episode turned into a two-part series. Tobias just brought such a unique perspective to medical imaging and specifically the need for advocating for MRI safety standards, but also looking at the profession as a whole. During these next two episodes, you're going to hear us go in-depth about some of the MRI safety some of the safety within the hospital setting, and then, of course, we're going to hit on the RA. So let's get started.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of Collaboration RA. I'm Reese, and of course, I have Marceline with me. Say hello.
0: Hey, guys.
1: All right. So this week, we have a very special guest with us. We are being joined with Tobias Gill. Hey, Tobias, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. I know Marceline and I are thrilled to have you on. I'm going to go through and give a little brief background as to who you are so our listeners can kind of get caught up with you, and then we're going to dive into it. So to our listeners, if you have not heard of Tobias, then heads up, here we go. Tobias has a very unique background with over 20 years focused on MRI safety and training when he started out as an architect, planning the build of MRI facilities, and he still works with the architectural firm Rad Planning. He also started Gilk Radiology Consultants, also known as GRC. He started out his career attending the University of Missouri, getting his undergraduate in 1992. And there he went on to the University of Kansas for his master's, finishing that up in 1997. Tobias has served a few times as a member on the ACR's MRI committee and is the co-author of several of the ACR's MRI safety standard guidance publications. He was a founding member and is now a past chair for the American Board of Magnetic Resonance Safety. He serves on the International Electrotechnical Commission Committee for the MRI Safety and Standards. He also has plenty of published articles as they pertain to MRI safety, and he is named twice as a finalist for the Best Radiology Educator Award. If you follow him on social media, you will find many instances where he is demonstrating the better need for recognition and safety standards for MRI and he is recognized at a state and federal level as an expert witness on MRI safety issues. He does hold certifications in both MRSO and MRSE. Please go check out his website at Gilgradiologyconsultants.com to find more of his published works and how to keep your MRI departments safe. Tobias, wow. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for asking me.
0: I'm extremely excited. I love following you. You know, I know who you were prior to actually starting the podcast, but being able to get on social media because I didn't have it before and getting on there and actually getting to see a lot of the work that you do and getting to follow you pretty closely. I'm a fan. The work that you do is extremely valuable, not only for us, but for the patients. I mean, that's just safety's first, always.
2: Well, thank you. That part of my life, I tend to live fairly publicly, fairly transparently on social media. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) And you do a good job at it. So my question is, whenever you first became an architect, how did you get into developing and building these MRI suites that led into this inspiration for seeing these safety measures met? I would
2: love to tell you that there was some grand plan that led me to where (laughs) I am now, but that's not the case. I graduated uh, with my architecture degree in 1997 and to be completely honest with you I had no idea what it is I was going to do at that point. I'd gone to architecture school because I wanted to design theaters and probably should have looked at the job prospects before I signed on to do a master's degree but when I was there I discovered yeah nobody's really designing theaters anymore so that's probably not a great career path for me. So after I graduated Honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I was just a regular architect, you know, designing whatever came. And it just so happened that the firm that I started working with, my very first job, was a firm that did zero healthcare. But they had been knocking on the door of the county hospital for years prior to me arriving. I guess the guy who was the director of design and construction for the county hospital I don't know whether he just gave up saying no to them or somehow was convinced that now was the time to give the firm an opportunity. But he said, okay, fine. I'll give you guys a little project. When the owners of the firm said, oh yeah, no, all of our architects are tied up right now. All we've got is this brand new kid, but we'll give him to you. (laughs) And they essentially gave me to the hospital to, you know, design whatever it is the hospital wanted or needed. Like I say, I was brand new to the firm. They hadn't really integrated me in any of the other projects going on at the time. So almost from day one, I started out designing hospital projects. And very quickly, I fell in with radiology. We did a gamma camera and we did a CT simulator and did an MRI project as one of the the first projects that I did, which was just immensely exciting for me. And Practicing architects develop this skill where they figure out what they don't need to know about their client's business, you know, so that they can focus just on producing the designs and the blueprints that the construction companies can bid on and that sort of thing. Not only did I not have those skills, I was so new at the job, I didn't even recognize that that was like a work skill that you need to develop. So when I got this MRI project, I figured I need to know everything there is to know about MRI. Threw myself in the deep end, and really fell in love with MRI as this magical technology. That MRI project was actually one of the very first projects that I ever did. The CT simulator project that I did later on, you know, making my way through the heaps of regulatory and life safety stuff for design pertaining to ionizing radiation. Honestly, I had an oh crap moment because in my head I was remembering I didn't do any of the life safety stuff associated with the MRI that I designed for the same hospital. It's sort of imposter syndrome and, you know, new practicing architect who doesn't really know what they're doing. And I was convinced that I had screwed up this MRI project that I did for them because I didn't identify or follow any of the safety rules for designing an MRI suite. And so I at that moment tried to figure out how much trouble I was in and started looking up what the safety rules for MRIs were and kept looking and kept looking and kept looking and couldn't find any anywhere and the reason I couldn't find any was because there were no safety rules for MRI not for design and construction anyway that exercise really got me wondering why there were no rules for MRI safety in design and construction for the same hospital, I wound up designing his second MRI several years later. So this is summer of 2002, actually. The original ACR white paper on MR safety comes out in 2002. And the head MR technologist for the hospital hands me the just published paper and says, whatever this says, do it for our facility. And I read through the paper. Part of me was gratified. Oh, my God there are actually facility design construction rules or guidelines at least about how to keep people safe in MRI. But I didn't understand what it was suggesting you do. So I wind up calling the lead author, Dr. Emanuel Canal, who is essentially the godfather of MRI safety. He was gracious enough. He took my phone call and gave me the dummy's guide to the four zones and access controls and that sort of thing. And I designed what was probably the very first MRI suite ever built that was designed using the ACR white paper and the four zone model as the basis of safety design. After that document came out and I saw for the first time that there were guidelines for MRI safety for design and construction, I decided that I was going to evangelize for this, that I was going to try and make sure that the hospital design standards and the building codes, that this information wound up becoming a standard part of the design of hospitals and healthcare facilities. And that's really sort of how architecture, I stumbled my way into radiology design and ultimately to MRI and MRI safety. And and the rest, as they say, is history.
0: It's pretty amazing. It's a story that I don't think any of us really have. A totally different take on our industry than what we typically hear.
2: It is simultaneously a blessing and a curse to have come from a very different background. There's an immense body of knowledge being a radiographer, being a radiologist, being a referring physician, being a radiology administrator. (laughs) Those bodies of knowledge are not things that I have directly, but an external perspective is sometimes each of us lose track of the forest because there's so many damn trees in the way. But having somebody who can come at long-standing problems with a fresh perspective is incredibly valuable. Now, even though I'm not trained as a radiographer, I'm not trained as a radiologist, I've dedicated essentially the last 20 plus years of my life to MRI, MRI safety, and have picked up an awful lot of what techs and rads do and what they know and how they have to work. So I'm not quite as dumb as I used to be in that regard, but I am now ever more grateful for having sort of the external perspective and being able to see forests more frequently than some people who have
1: been raised there, you know, developed
0: Mm -hmm.
2: their sensibilities in that environment.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with
1: that. I find it shocking that in the grand scheme of things and in relation to how long MRI has been around, that from a construction and building standpoint, there weren't these rules and and regulations and step-by-step processes already in play. I feel like that would be like a foundation type of component to before you even start really getting the walls built.
2: Yeah, then that's what I thought too. I was that young architect who was convinced that I screwed something up badly because I hadn't found and followed the safety guidance when in fact there wasn't any. But the design and construction standards is just, it's not the problem. It's really a symptom of the way we treat MRI more broadly. We keep on referring to MRI as the safe modality, as if the only thing that could ever hurt anybody in the radiology department is ionizing radiation. And that's simply not true. If you use the same logic, That we use to label MRI as the safe modality. An analogy would go something like this, you know, how many thousands of people die in car accidents every year? I've got a vehicle that's not a car. Um, How do you get out of it? Well, you jump out of it with a parachute on, but you're not going to die in a car accident. It's like labeling skydiving as the safe transportation option because People get injured in cars and this isn't a car. That's Mm. kind of the logic of how we labeled MRI as the safe modality, right? It may be skydiving, but it sure as hell isn't a car and people get injured in cars. Nobody stopped to think, wait a minute. So how is MRI different? How are the risks of MRI distinct or unique and different from ionizing radiation? It's almost as if that piece of the conversation never happened. Somebody said, MRI, non-ionizing, safer than x-ray and fluoro and CT and all of our nukes, and certainly safer than interventional radiology, and miles and miles safer than radiation therapy, and beam therapy. Nobody stopped to say, but are there risks associated with incredibly powerful static magnetic fields Or time-varying gradients that induce neuroelectric signals that produce involuntary stimulus responses or, you know, muscular activity. What about radiofrequency energies and depositing large amounts of radiofrequency energies and the potential for heating, whether that's core temperature elevation, you know, diffuse thermal loading or focal concentration of that energy and the production of burns on the patients. All of these things happen in MRI, but it's the safe modality. So trying to talk about ways that we can improve or change practice to make MRI safer. Well, if somebody has been told that MRI is a safe modality, it almost makes everything you say after that, suggesting changes or improvements to MRI safety, makes it sound like you're talking crazy talk. Why would we do all of this when it's already safe? That's one of the big, really day in, day out uphill battles that we need to face if we're actually going to fulfill the promise and make MRI the safe modality.
0: That brings us into one of the topics that I wanted to discuss with you. I know that you and I had a conversation just this past week in regards to overseas They were changing some things to the programs. And, you know, we've had a lot of that happening here in the states. And so I was talking about Tennessee losing their oversight and their licensing board. And so we just got to talking about that. And you brought up, well, states don't recognize MRI. And I'm thinking, well, Texas, we have our laws. So I went back through and I read Texas law. And you're 100% right in that we don't recognize MRI credentialing we don't recognize MRI safety. We recognize radiation and ionizing radiation and that you have to have licensure to perform those and that there are those safety standards there. And so I would like for you to kind of share on that and just our conversation, because I think a lot of people will assume, just like I have for several years, that if you're recognized as a technologist, well, that encompasses MRI and that's just not true.
2: Yeah, or all of the struggles that are happening across the country in terms of political pressures to relax, credentialing qualifications for rad techs across all of the modalities, MRI really has the least to lose because they didn't have it to begin with. I believe the count is six of the 50 U.S. states have any requirements above a pulse to operate an MR system. And of the six that have requirements for MR system operators, The majority of the state requirements are a radiography certification. You don't even need to have done CT and have cross-sectional anatomy understanding. You certainly don't have to have an MR subspecialty certification. Throughout the United States, so I live in Kansas. I have a good friend of mine who used to be an engineer for one of the big three MRI manufacturers. And he was telling me a story of... A client of the company that ran mobile trailers. This particular mobile essentially made a circuit and spent a day a week at a different rural hospital. And there was a guy who drove the truck and then the tech would follow in their own car. Well, the tech had gas station sushi or something and had horrible food poisoning. So the tech calls in sick but they're in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, right? It's not like they have another MR tech who's just nearby and able to pick up. They're only going to be at this hospital on Wednesday of this week. And so the hospital and all of the referring physicians in the town have already scheduled a full day's worth of scanning for this mobile trailer. So the owner of the company or manager essentially convinces the truck driver to go and he was like, I'll tell you which buttons to push in which sequence. And you're going to scan these, you know, 10, 15 patients that are scheduled in this little town. And then, you know, tomorrow you won't have to worry about it because the food poisoning will have passed and the tech will be able to resume. All perfectly legal. Did not violate a single state law having the guy who drives the truck execute the day's worth of MR studies. Now, they may have gotten crossways with their accreditation, but ACR, Joint Commission, are only going to show up once a year, state review once every three years. So you got a 1 in 365 chance of today being the bad day that you know your accreditation reviewer shows up. Yeah, that's pretty low probability you're going to get caught. The truck driver scanned all of the patients that day.
0: And I think that brings up another point hospitals have the ACR accreditation for MRI, whereas imaging centers may not have to have that. And so I think people also carry that same assumption that people are going to be MRI safety trained and that they're going to be credentialed to perform these tasks when the reality is if it's an off-site imaging center that does not have to have any type of formal accreditation, they don't have to have an MRI tech who is MR certified, correct? Correct.
2: Well, it actually depends on who you get paid from. So, Mm. the requirement to have accreditation really stems from, do you want to get paid by CMS? If you want to get paid for delivering care to a Medicare, Medicaid, or TRICARE beneficiary, your facility has to have accreditation. Now, there are really two tiers of accreditation. If you are a hospital, you have to have enterprise level, whole facility level accreditation. And the most popular version of that is joint commission. You know, joint commission surveyors poke their nose in patient rooms and the cafeteria and the ED and surgery, and they check everything under the roof of the facility and the helipad if you have one on top of your roof. So hospitals, if you want to get reimbursed from CMS, have to have enterprise level accreditation. Outpatient imaging facilities have to have what's called modality level accreditation. You don't have to, you can if you want to, but you don't have to have the entire enterprise accredited. If you only want to get reimbursed for the CT studies or the MR studies, you can get just your CT scanner or just your MR scanner accredited. And the organizations that accredit the modality itself are your ACRs, your IACs, your RAD sites. You can also, if you're a hospital, you can get the modality level accreditation on top of the enterprise level accreditation. But if you don't plan on billing CMS, if you're fine with the private insurance patients, you don't have to have the accreditation. It's not required broadly. There may be individual states who want you to do that, but it's really a reimbursement tool.
1: So what you're saying is, as long as I have a CDL, I can go, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, hey,
1: you know, come to Kansas, come to Missouri. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. You, there's nothing that's going to stop you from scanning that patient, except if it happens to be the one day that
1: a surveyor shows up unannounced.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. I, mm-hmm.
1: I don't think that would classify a uh, crisis situation when you're trying to pull individuals and volunteers to meet demands or a need for the greater good of a community. I don't think that would uh, satisfy all those requirements, unfortunately. But, you know.
2: I mean, if you think about all of the, and this is going to sound morbid, but all of the, the creative and interesting ways that we can injure and kill people in MRI. You know, we've probably killed a dozen, 20 people over the lifetime of MRI in the United States by just stopping their pacemakers from working. We've... Injured or killed probably another eight or 12 with interfering with medication pumps. We burn people on the regular. We injure people when things go flying inside magnet rooms because they're giant freaking magnets and people have a tendency to bring wheelchairs and beds and IV poles and all kinds of things that aren't supposed to be used inside the MRI room. And they bring them inside the MRI room, and a person standing between that object and the MRI scanner gets hit or crushed by the thing that goes flying in. The MRI scanners, the act of scanning, produces the radio frequency energy that burns people inside and out, depending on particular circumstances. The time varying gradients induce neuromuscular excitation mostly that's benign and that's just sort of peripheral nerve stimulation, a little tingling, a little creepy-crawly sensation on your skin. But if you have an implant or a medical device that senses neuroelectric activity, pacemaker, deep brain stimulator, that measure neuroelectric activity and then deliver therapy when the neuroelectric activity is out of whack, you know, outside the clinical parameters, we can and have caused active implanted devices to deliver inappropriate therapy to patients. The number of ways that people do get injured in MRI is really amazing. And in the context of the fact that any Tom, Dick or Harry can be, you know, walk in off of the street. And as far as 44 of the 50 U.S. States are concerned, that individual is just as qualified. To sit down and run the MRI scanner for your child, your spouse, your parent, your best friend, right? As the patient, that's just not right. This modality, when we do it correctly, it is profoundly safe. We just don't feel like doing it correctly is an imperative in this country. And so we don't actually require people do it correctly. We'd suggest it's probably
1: a good idea if you do it correctly, but that to me just doesn't make sense. So obviously there is a need and you're one of the trailblazers in setting all these the standards as far as this is concerned. Is this the reason why you wanted to uh, go independent and establish Gilk Radiology Consultants? You saw the need and you're like, this needs to go nationwide, if not worldwide. That's a part of it. Yes. I'm the crazy guy who stands on the street corner,
2: you know, with the sandwich board saying, we need to change our ways, right? And I have done, I probably will continue to be the crazy guy on the street corner talking about how we can and should improve the way we deliver healthcare, the way we protect the safety of healthcare workers as well as patients. But I also saw not only in the need to address these problems on sort of the macro level, but I recognize that individual hospitals, individual imaging providers often need somebody to coach them through the process changes. They need somebody external to kind of come in with a fresh set of eyes and assess what's strong and what's weak within their programs. Where are their opportunities? That something could go badly and create a problem for them. If we identify those weaknesses, those potential exposures, what can we do to strengthen the protections against that bad thing happening? GRC was really founded to take the same thing that I'm doing on sort of a macro level and trying to implement or bring about some of these changes on an industry or professional level, but how to make those changes concrete and real at the level of an individual imaging center or an individual hospital. And I have to say it is some of the most rewarding work that I have done to be able to observe the changes in hospitals and some of my clients who are sincere about their desire to improve the processes related to MRI patient care and MRI safety and being able to see really some remarkable changes come about in some of these facilities. It strengthens my resolve to keep working on on these things at the macro level, because I know what kinds of improvement, what kinds of improved safety and improved operations are possible if they're just examples and there's just guidance to help these facilities through it.
1: My radiologist and I were Just today, having a conversation. And I wish GRC was around way back when they were deciding to put a magnet in our outpatient building. And this has been many, many, many years ago. But somebody in the design phase thought it would be a good idea to place the magnet in the center and build the department around the magnet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know how this story ends. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) As time goes by, things wear out, things break down, newer technology comes. All of a sudden, everyone's sitting there scratching their heads. How are we going to replace this magnet?
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: ultimately what happened is they had to shut down the entire outpatient imaging department and take out multiple and multiple walls to tunnel the way through to an external wall just so they can get the magnet out. And they have put in a new magnet on an exterior wall of the building. That way in, you know, 20, 30 years time, they don't have to completely renovate the entire (laughs) first floor of the building. I'll do you one better. This was not a
2: client of mine, but a hospital in Kansas City where I live. And this happened and word got around and I went to go see it because I just, I couldn't miss this. But a hospital had put an MRI in 15, 20 years ago and it was probably the hospital's first MRI, and they put it in the basement. As the years went on, they sort of added imaging equipment in the basement, and they added IR rooms, and they added some CT, and you know, lo and behold, 15 years later, that MRI is done and needs to come out. They have now built their IR suites and the CT suites. They've essentially sandwiched The MRI in, and there's no path to get it out. And they identified the cost that it was going to incur to shut down IR. And they decided that was going to be too expensive an interruption to patient care services. So they got torches and they cut the magnet into pieces small enough that you could put each piece in a wheelbarrow and essentially bring the entire MRI out in chunks and put it all in a giant dumpster outpack. Yeah, so so don't do that. <laughs>
0: wow. So I know you and I had a conversation prior to actually starting recording this podcast. We were talking over some of the workflow that MRI is experiencing right now. And then also kind of hearing them on the phone with some of these physicians that are wanting these exams expedited. And I get it. Radiology, MRI included, is the diagnosis for many of these patients. So I understand that these patients need treatment. They need to be seen. But I think what often is overlooked by individuals who don't work within radiology is that screening process has to be thorough. And so I feel like we're seeing an increase in incidence. And I could be wrong. I personally feel like we're seeing an increase of incidence, I think because we're getting pressured to overstep some of these safety standards that we as technologists or as MRI technologists should be following. And so I feel like there's just a lot of pressure on our MRI techs right now from physicians or just from all these outside areas that are wanting to get this patient load done. I don't know because you've probably seen a lot more of it than I have, but I feel like it has been on the rise, especially in this past year.
2: The situation was bad before COVID the staff losses that we experienced during COVID and how every facility today is significantly understaffed. I was talking with a radiologist friend of mine who was telling me that 40% of their MR techs are travelers and the cost to employ a traveler is 1.7 times the cost to employ one of their regular salaried MR techs, direct hires and I said well wouldn't it make sense to just offer all of your mr techs a 25% raise and recruit people to fill the slots that you're filling with travelers right now you'd wind up spending exactly the same amount of money they would be your employees to develop and to train and he said oh yeah no i've advocated for exactly that within the hospital system but i keep getting told that money to pay travelers comes from a different budget that we don't have the budget in our HR salary, so I can't give anybody raises. But in the meantime, the hospital's gonna spend a 70% premium getting travelers to come in. Even if you're fully staffed, but 40% of your staff are travelers. Those are folks who don't know your processes. They don't know your policies and procedures. They may not be familiar with your specific imaging equipment. So, even if you're fully staffed, but more than a third of your staff are travelers, that probably puts a huge extra burden on your direct employees because not only do they need to do their job, but they need to be constantly looking over their shoulder to make sure that the traveler person who's only here on an eight week contract isn't screwing something up and putting themselves or the patients or the institution in jeopardy. And that kind of persistent interruption of their focus on caring for the patient who's immediately in front of them, the phone ringing, the irate neurosurgeon who is just livid at the fact that, you know, the MR techs want documentation for the neurostimulator that the neurosurgeon just implanted. And for whatever reason, he or she just won't document in the, in the operative note, specifically what the implant was, but will yell and scream and insist that they wouldn't ever put anything inside a patient that couldn't be MRI image so why are the techs being obstructionist and that work list with the inpatients I work with a hospital in Texas actually that runs 24 7 and they do their outpatients during the daytime and then at 7 or 8 o'clock at night they switch over and they start doing inpatients I've sat with the overnight techs One of the things I do when I do consulting projects is I like to come in and I like to sit with the overnight techs. And so seeing how a facility works at 4 a.m. Sunday morning tells you an awful lot about how that facility works, period. But sitting with those overnight techs and looking at these work lists just grow and grow and grow throughout the night and saying, do you ever clear your list by the time you're done? And they're like, yeah, maybe once every two weeks, we actually cleared the list. And I was asking, so how many patients are, you know, essentially all but discharge? How many additional patient days are there? How many of the patients who don't get their scans get an extra patient day, stay in the hospital, cost the hospital X thousands of dollars because we can't scan this patient? So there are all of these pressures. The financial pressures, the patient care pressures, the screaming neurosurgeon who's insisting you should skip your screening process and patient clearance process because they wouldn't ever put anything inside this patient that isn't MR conditional or MR safe. All of these things just sort of pile on to the tech who's also trying to keep one eye trained on the contract tech to make sure that they're not injuring the patient. All of this stuff just keeps piling on. I agree with you. I can't support this empirically. I don't have evidence to support it in terms of numbers, but my sense of things right now, middle of 2023 is things are going badly. The number of accidents, near miss events, projectile events that don't hurt anybody. The number of stuff that I am seeing out there really has me feeling very uncomfortable. I think we are seeing the dam breaking in real time. And I am deathly afraid of what comes next if we don't right the ship, if we don't change the way that we're behaving, the way that we go about taking care of patients. I'm really worried there will be another Michael Columbini, the young boy who died and his accident was on CNN 24-7. I'm afraid that MRI is setting itself up for another major tragedy if we are continuing in the direction that I think we're going right now.
0: That concludes today's episode. I want to say thank you for everybody tuning in. Be sure to check out the second episode, which will be airing next week. We're going to pick up right where we left off. Be sure to find us on our website, www.collaborationra.com. And of course, as you know, if you got something that you want to come on and talk about, our mic is always open. We'll see you guys next week. thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in.